let's kind of talk about uh, you know your history, your your upbringing, because uh, because you're a, you're a young strapping lad. Your here. last name's Lux, so you're... obviously you have something to do around here. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 246 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm Kenny, one of the hosts, and here's your COVID-19 updates because a lot has changed since last week. Texas has temporarily adjusted its laws to be more lenient on the drinks industry and are now allowing alcohol as a part of to-go orders. This is pretty big news because we know that anything in Texas that is regulated by alcohol is very, very hard to change. And they are also enlisting distributor trucks that are designated for alcohol-only delivery to support grocers and delivery needs during this time. Four Roses Distillery will temporarily suspend their operations of its distillery located in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, and that began on March 20th of 2020. And based on the current situation, Four Roses expects to commence operations once again on April 6th of 2020. A new statement by the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America, or known as the WSWA, their CEO and President Michelle Korsma warns that in a crisis, unintended consequences are major concerns for industries and private citizens, and they implore all governors to keep wine and spirits retailers open as to not encourage bad actors to pop up black market liquor operations. Other industry partners, including the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, otherwise known as Discus, has made a similar statement. And Fred Minnick recently published an article on Forbes referring to the actions taken by the state of Pennsylvania, where they closed the doors of all alcohol stores in the state, that the same thing could happen to them as it did during Prohibition. And you can read more with his article to the link in our show notes. Right now, many other distilleries are making hand sanitizer. Back on March 20th of 2020, the FDA issued a new guidance for the temporary manufacturing of hand sanitizer by companies and entities that are not currently regulated by the FDA as a drug manufacturer. The TTB, or the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, has found that it is necessary and desirable to waive provisions of internal revenue law with regard to distilled spirits, and therefore is providing certain exemptions and authorizations to distilled spirits permittees who wish to produce ethanol-based hand sanitizers to address the demand during this emergency. Any existing DSP can immediately commence production of hand sanitizer or ethanol for use in hand sanitizer without having to obtain authorization first. These measures are generally authorized under authorities that apply in disaster situations and are right now approved through June 30th of 2020. There are now over 50 distilleries across the U.S. that have switched to making hand sanitizer, including big ones like Wilderness Trail, Smooth Ambler, Town Branch, Rabbit Hole, Old Forester, and there's many more craft distilleries across the nation like Koval in Illinois, Corsair in Tennessee, and Caledonia Spirits in Texas. I would love to be able to give everyone a shout out on here, but you can contact your local distillery to see if they have any available for public purchase. In addition, there's a lot of giving going on by bigger corporations, and here's some of the highlights. Beam Satori and Southern Glazers are donating $1 million to support the impacted bar and restaurant employees. Beam Centauri is also working with other distributors across various states, including major brands, Badger Liquor, Fedway Associates, Allied Beverage Corp, Empire Distributors, Best Brands, Horizon Beverage Group, and more to provide donations to local organizations that will further help the support in the trade of their respective communities. Diageo has also pledged $1 million to the USBG, or the United States Bartenders Guild, in their Emergency Assistance Fund for COVID-19. 
Diageo is also donating another million euros to support bartenders in the United Kingdom, or a million pounds. Brown Foreman is donating $1 million to USBG, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, and One Louisville is separating between those three different organizations. Gallo's New Amsterdam Vodka and Barstool Sports created a new t-shirt highlighting Support Your Local Bartender Program, where 100% of the net proceeds will go to U.S. Bartenders Guild Foundation, and additionally, New Amsterdam will donate $5 for every t-shirt purchased. Jameson donates another $500,000 to the USBG. Michter's Distillery and Philip Duff have made a $10,000 donation to the USBG. Patron is donating $1 million to three different organizations. You have the Children of Restaurant Employees, otherwise known as CORE, Another Round, Another Rally, and the James Beard Foundation. Sazerac and Fireball have started a GoFundMe called the World's Biggest Tip Jar by starting it off with a $100,000 donation, and it will match all contributions up to $400,000 donations with everything going to tax-exempt organizations. Tito's is donating $1 million between four organizations focused on those in the industry. You have the Core, USBG, Southern Smoke, and the World Central Kitchen. They are also pledging another additional $1 million as further needs are seen. Zamora is donating 400,000 euros through charities such as Caritas, the Red Cross, and the Food Bank Foundation. Yelp, who you all know the app, is providing $25 million in relief in the form of waived advertising fees and free advertising, product services, and more of that than during this period. In addition, we're trying to do our part as well. Bourbon Pursuit, we have our own fundraiser going to help support the USBG or the United States Bartenders Guild. So at this time, you can go and you can win bottles of Pursuit Series and our latest peril picks from Willet. Go to bourbonpursuit.com USBG to get entered into our raffle. We appreciate all the support. Discus, that we had talked about a little bit earlier before, the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, is now asking the government to include distillers in the COVID-19 relief fund. Distilleries across the nation have closed tasting rooms, suspended tours, and canceled large events to limit the exposure of COVID-19. As a result, distillers have been forced to make difficult decisions, including in some cases shutting down production and laying off staff. As a result, many distilleries may not be able to survive during this crisis. Distillers right now employ 1.6 million people across the country and generate $180 billion in economic activity for the United States. You can help take action by supporting Spirits United with your name and vote with the link in our show notes. This story poured out a little bit over last week, and I'm sure many people know about it, but we need to report on anyway because we all know about Jack Rose. It's that iconic whiskey bar in D.C. that's owned and operated by Bill Thomas, who you've heard back on episodes 67 and 127. They're putting up all 2,700 bottles for sale in response to the escalating health and economic crisis. The public can now search through their treasure trove by stopping into the bar, browsing their whiskey Bible menu, which is also available online, and talking to Bill Thomas himself. You can order anything you want. That could mean 20 or 30 old pours of Arbeg or Macallan, hard-to-find Willett family estates, or Jack Rose's own private barrels that are made in collaboration with Blanton's and other distilleries. The drams will be packaged in little sealed bottles that can be that can be kept on your home bar, and pours of the rare stuff, or anything that's $100 plus an ounce, will be 50% off, while all other pours are 20% off. Thomas says he plans to offer the spirits at a lower price than what consumers would find on the secondary market. 
And if you're in the area, they also have to-go cocktails available from all three of their company bars, Jack Rose, Imperial, and Dram and Grain. From classics like Old Fashions and Manhattans to whimsical creations that they all have starting at $10 each. The story has spread, and when it broke, people were lined up for around five blocks. Their website crashed, and they had to use Facebook and Instagram to let everyone know how to contact them. So please, check out the Jack Rose social pages for the latest and up-to-date info on how to get your hands on anything. All right, let's change subjects for a minute. Let's get out of the coronavirus talk. Wave Financial has finalized an agreement with Danville, Kentucky-based Wilderness Trail Distilleries to tokenize between 10 and 20,000 barrels of whiskey worth up to around $20 million that will be made publicly available through a specialized digital asset fund. Now, if that didn't make sense, this is turning bourbon inventory into cryptocurrency. So known as Wave Whiskey 2020 Digital Fund, the investors will be able to purchase asset-backed tokens linked to an inventory of whiskey barreled this year that will represent as many as 4 million bottles of bourbon. By tokenizing it, Wave says that investors can gain exposure to bourbon's value appreciation and can also share some of the proceeds from when a whiskey is sold to wholesale to merchants and three years after the whiskey is first distilled and the tokens are then issued to investors. Users will be able to trade their tokens at whatever price they wish and Wave is also in discussions with some security token exchanges to develop an official secondary market infrastructure to facilitate better trading in the whiskey-backed tokens. A Wave spokesperson added that the token was available for accredited investors from all around the world and with a first close at the end of March and a second at the end of June. A final close expected to take in the place in September. You can read more about that with a link in our show notes. And in more Wilderness Trail news, the yeast and fermentation doctor from Wilderness Trail that we all know is Pat Heist, who we had back on episode 121 that blew everyone's mind, had his first TED Talk published. It talks about the effect of climate on production and the quality of bourbon. And this was done at TEDx at the University of Nevada. Give it a listen on YouTube with the link in our show notes. All right, for today's episode, we feature one of the largest spirits companies you probably don't know much about. You've heard of brands like Ezra Brooks, Rebel Yell, and Blood Oath, but there's a lot to discover about Luxco. We sit down with Philip Lux, the global brand ambassador of Luxro Distillers, and he's also the son of the CEO Don Lux, as he guides us through the family history of Lux's, along with the acquisitions of their bourbon brands and labels. Then we also get the inside scoop on what's happening at Luxro Distillers. After sourcing whiskey for many years, it became apparent they needed to build a distillery, and they did it right in Bardstown, Kentucky. We discuss the future of the brands and how they plan on growing and evolving. Also, don't sleep on this location during your bourbon trail visit because the facility looks incredible. Let's get on with the show. Here's Fred Minnick with the Buff the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. I have some very, very staggering news. This just in from ACSA, or better known as the American Craft Spirits Association. According to a survey of ACSA, 150 craft from, of 150 craft distillers, 67% will be forced to close within three months. 32% of those respondents said it, they won't even last a month. 87% of all craft distillery tasting rooms have closed, and 60% of 
of the distilleries making craft spirits has already laid off employees or furloughed staff. This is absolutely staggering. 2,000 small distillers across the country, and that survey tells us we may very well lose two-thirds of them in a matter of months. Those are people who have put it all on the line to do something that they love and you know want to really push the envelope. And this just breaks my heart. This just absolutely breaks my heart. The distilling community right now is trying to get federal support. You know, so they're basically looking for the same kind of uh, federal funds that's going to be given to the airline industry and the hospitality industry. And here we are um, amidst this coronavirus scare, and we're, we're about to we're we're about to see a lot of a lot of great people lose their dreams, and that's just very very scary. I think about what we do, you know, Kenny, Ryan, and I. You know, this is yeah, it's it, it's my job. But let's face it, I have a dream job. I talk and write about whiskey for a living, like all the time. And I've sometimes said some things that uh, are not so nice about craft whiskeys. It was never anything personal. It's just about their whiskey. But never in a million years would I wish this upon anybody in the industry. I can't even imagine to begin to think of like what it what it must be like right now to be a craft distiller and to know that if it, things don't change, you're going to have to shut down for good. So let's do what we can. Let's, let's do what we can. Let's buy their products. And you may push back here and say, hey, well, Fred, we can't go to the liquor store. Our governor has shut us down. We have to stay inside. You know, that's very well true. Uh, but get this, there's a lot of delivery services out there right now that will bring a good old dram to your doorstep. You can go to sillbox.com. Uh, Craft Shack is another one. You can go to drizzlies.com. And these are all delivery services that will buy from a local retailer and deliver to you. Another one that you can join is called spiritsnetwork.com. Go to spiritsnetwork.com. I actually have a lot of shows on there, but you can you can buy booze and then watch booze TV. So there's a lot of options out there that you can uh, go to and buy craft whiskey or any kind of craft spirit. But listen, we have to band together. We have to do what we can to help these small distillers because we can't lose them. We just can't. It's not... It's very scary. It's absolutely very scary. And so let's do what we can. Let's band together and let's save a distillery or two. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, make sure you are checking out my YouTube. I am dropping content every single day in hopes of helping you get through the boredom. You can go to YouTube and just look for my channel. Just search my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers.
And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan. Back in Bardstown. On the road again. But this is fun. We love going on the road. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and today it's funny because, you know, we, we drive around Bardstown. We do a lot of these interviews. Uh, however, this is one place that I had never driven up and we drive past it quite frequently, especially if you're a, a frequenter over at uh, Keystone Liquors. Yeah. Yeah. You, you drive by. Or the cinemas. You go to the movies. You mm-hmm. know, it's right across the street. It is. And, uh, but this is, it's one place where I, I drove up and I was, I was amazed like how beautiful the grounds are here uh, at, at Lux Road Distillers and being able to, uh, and the first thing that we saw, A, was like some a house that you said your your buddy grew up in that, yeah. that owned the land here. Uh, and then we saw their their resident peacocks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, I've been up this driveway many times. Uh, you know, it's a running joke that I say that I'm from Bardstown, but I am from Bardstown and uh, grew up hanging out here with my buddy John and his family. So uh it's a beautiful property got a bunch of old farmhouses cool old house and some peacocks and they were like kenny walked up and they kind of spread their feathers out i think they're excited <laughs> that, to see kenny and so yeah maybe maybe see us who knows yeah but I, you, i've kind of been you know just being in town seeing the construction and everything but never really seen it till now and man it's an it's an impressive property and, with and, all the distillery and everything so we talk about the property um but you know this is also we're we're getting a chance to talk about a company that's kind of like a, an unknown titan mm-hmm. in the industry. You know, it's they've they've had a lot of established brands that have been out there um, for the longest time. It had been a, a sourcing product, and now that they're sealing the light, they're like, hey, we got to grow, we got to expand, we got to uh, we got to start pumping out our stuff too. Uh, and so, you know, when we start talking about these brands, a lot of them are going to start ringing a lot of names like Rebel Yell. 
like Ezra Brooks. Like mm-hmm. these are all the Blood names Oak, that, yeah. that these are all the names that you're probably very well familiar with, and probably didn't know much about the the distillery and the people that are behind it. So I'm uh, guilty. I don't know much, but now I do know because we just did the tour and got the family history, and it's like a really cool story. So I'm excited to share that with our audience. Absolutely. And that's a good way to kind of segue into our, our guest today. So today we have Philip Lux. Philip is the global brand ambassador for Lux Road Distillery. So Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Kenny. Ryan, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we kind of get into this and start talking about uh, the whiskey and the tour and the grounds and all that sort of stuff again, let's kind of talk about, uh, you know, your history, your your upbringing, because uh, you're a, you're a Young strapping lad. Your here. last name's Lux, so yeah. obviously you have something to do around here. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the and you we kind of talked about like your family's been in this business uh, what forty years now something like that uh, almost sixty years almost yeah. sixty years wow so talk about your first run in with bourbon uh, my first run in with bourbon honestly was was pretty recent uh, over the past two to three years when we decided to build this Are you distillery. just saying that so your mom and dad be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, I mean, it truly was, uh, you know, as a, uh, personally, my my first run with bourbon was, was recent, but as a company, we've been in the bourbon industry for over 40 years doing some private label stuff with my grandfather back when, you know, he was still, still around. And uh, David Sherman, who originally started the business, you know, with my grandfather, Paul, um, when they were, you know, just doing that private label bourbon just for, for different grocery stores or or convenience stores, stuff like that around the country. And then we we bought our first bourbon um, in, I believe, 93 with Ezra Brooks from from Glenmore Distillers, who's now owned by Sazerac, and has just kind of grown from there. And, um, you know, that was a little over 20 years ago now, and we've grown, we've had award-winning brands and grown our brands over the past 20 years and into, into big, big names that allowed us to now uh, break off from sourcing and start our own distillery and have everything distilled in-house versus, um, you know, sourcing our bourbon from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get back to the original question. What was your first run in with bourbon? <laughs> My first run in with bourbon was was probably three years ago mm-hmm. um, in, you know, Colorado when I was when I was living there and decided I wanted to get away from kind of the the vodka vodka scene. So I started to drink some different stuff and my mom actually came to me and and said that'd be a really good opportunity for, you know, to maybe have an idea of getting into the industry as we're getting ready to build this. So I jumped kind of head over heels um, into the bourbon industry and kind of ran with it from there, went to Moonshine University um, in Louisville and where I really got introduced to bourbon and whiskey. And that kind of helped me engulf myself in the industry and engulf myself in what bourbon really is, especially here in Kentucky and in Louisville, where it's you know America's spirit and and the most popular spirit. So, mm-hmm. so she kind of was like the catalyst. Like yeah. you didn't really. You were like, ah, that's your all's thing. I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah, I, I never even really wanted to be in the industry. My, I was always not necessarily pressured. My dad always said, "Do whatever you wanted to do." Yeah, um, he was never pressuring me. At all. It was always his friends or my friends asking, "When, when were you going to get in the industry? When were you going to do this, do that?" So, because I'm sure your friends were like, "Hey, yeah, free boots all the time." I mean, yeah. I would take boxes of booze to college with me, uh-huh. um, whether it be vodka. Yeah, um, you'd be a con- contact dad. Yeah, you'd probably I mean, we we used coolest guy in the house. We used to own Admiral Nelson, so that was a pretty big. Oh, yeah. product for us and that was a a a fun product in college and uh, everybody enjoyed that but you know on the bourbon side I really didn't know much about it until I started taking classes um, and really engulfing myself in it with Stave and Thief like I said as well with Moonshine U and 
you know, my mom was just said, you know, take a chance. This is something that's different. It's something that's new. It's going to be something that you can help grow and you can be a part of. I was working in a ski shop in Colorado two years out of school and, uh, you know, loving life, but it's, it's hard to work in a ski shop for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. Working a ski, living, work in a ski town. So I need to find something a little different. And I, and I, you know, I've, I've used my dad and different people in the company and in the industry as kind of stepping, you know, stepping blocks to help me work into it and learn more about it. And, um, I feel that I've, I'm learning, you know, every day, whether it be with our products or the distillation process or the supplier versus distributor side. Um, and, you know, with my job, it really allows me to learn, um, you know, frequently and, yeah. and continue learning mm -hmm. um, and traveling and seeing different how bourbon and whiskey is viewed in California versus in Kentucky versus in New York. You know, I like to call... Um, you know, the bourbon trail, like the Napa Valley of the Midwest now, because, it, and you guys probably see it firsthand as well, where everybody's flocking here now mm -hmm. for, for that bourbon. Even so. the peacocks. Even, Even the peacocks. Pe <laughs> <laughs> they, they're, they're always here and they're, you know, they love it here. So kind of talk about what you do see the difference in, in bourbon, whether it's the community or culture as you're doing these travels, you know, just across the U.S. Like what is, what's something that kind of stands out to you? You know, I, th I think something that really stands out is the the recognition of the bigger brands. Um, you know, you go to California where, and I went up to Seattle for Seattle Cocktail Week and people had never heard of Luxro, but they had heard of, you know, they heard of Heaven Hill and Maker's Mark and Jim Beam. And, uh, you know, being for me, my passion and, and what I really strive to is grow not only our brands, but our brands are part of a bigger name now of Lux, Lux Rose. So, I think, you know, to answer your question, Kenny, the, the major difference that I see is how quickly a brand like Lux Row catches on in Kentucky um, because, you know, we're a year and seven months out from, you know, putting juice in our first barrel and people recognize those brands like, you know, they they have, you know, throughout time and they recognize Lux Row now as in you go to San Francisco Whiskey Fest those are all whiskey, you know, enthusiasts. So they're gonna, you know, they've they've probably been following those brands, but they're not super familiar with it. Maybe they've seen that Lux Row logo somewhere, and now they're gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be there, and they can, you know, learn more about it on a firsthand basis. Or up in New York, I was up there and personally introduced David Nicholson Reserve into the New York and the Boston market in front of all the distributors. So just different brands that aren't necessarily recognized throughout the country mm -hmm. or are and don't have a lot of backing to them that need help, you know, growing. Um, and with the distillery, it's allowed us to help grow those brands in a different way where we can, one, bring customers here and, you know, they can see that product. We have people from all over the, you know, country, if not the globe, coming here um, when they come to see Heaven Hill or Jim Beam or Maker's Mark or Limestone Branch down in Lebanon. They drive right past us now. Um, so we're in a very unique spot here that um it allows us to help grow mm -hmm. yeah i mean you go ahead ryan oh no go ahead all right well, I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep going i mean because yeah. i was i was talking about like is yeah i mean we talked about it kind of the beginning of the show that you know uh, the rebel yell david nicholson blood oath like ezra books like these are these are pretty iconic names yeah. in in whiskey like they've been around for a long time but people didn't really know a lot of the background and so Lux Row is also, is it underneath the umbrella or an extension of, of Lux Co as well? Can you kind of talk about the differences, what you have there? Yeah, absolutely. So Lux Co is, um, 
I like to call it our parent brand, but Lux Lux Row is actually technically a supplier of Lux Co. Um, you know, we own it as a family. Um, my dad, um, you know, is the chairman and CEO still of Lux Row, but we we act as a supplier for Lux Co's bourbons. Um, but we're also you know, owned and operated, family owned and operated out of St. Louis with my father, uh, myself, my brother, my mom. My brother's not in the industry. He's a, he's an aerospace engineer, but he's nerd. still part of the family. What a nerd. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, uh, went a little bit of a different path, um, than myself, but, uh, you know, to each its own. Yeah. Um, I've found, you know, a niche here, but, um, yeah, I mean, Luxco is, is a, a worldwide supplier of, of spirits. Um, we own, a multitude of about a hundred different brands. Everclear probably being the biggest. Uh, my grandpa Paul purchased that, um, you know, way back in the day. That was his so first. You were the product. most popular guy in college. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and to this day, I'm proud to admit I've actually never drank an Everclear. Yeah, it's, really, it's yep. brutal. Yep, never drinking it. <laughs> Let's so. put in like hooch or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's you know. Everclear is, you know, the biggest one, but then we've got, you know, Pearl Vodka, Aero Cordials. Uh, we own three different tequilas, Juarez Tequila, which is our mixed dough, which you can find in, you know, like a, a Texas Roadhouse well. Um, it's well margaritas, usually Juarez Tequila. Um, we have El Mayor Tequila, which is our ultra premium, as well as Exotico Tequila, um, all based out of Mexico. Um, but it all, you know, we're the supplier for that. So we, we've been partners with the Gonzalez family over there for, uh, 30, 40 years. My grandfather worked with Rodolfo Gonzalez's father, so still very family-oriented. And then over on Lux Row, you, I mean, you obviously can't get to Lux Row if you don't have Lux Co. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've, over the past 20 years, we've purchased all of our bourbon brands. Um, Ezra Brooks being the first in 93 from um, Glenmore Distillers. And then we had Rebel Yell in 99 that we purchased from Stitzel Weller. Uh, David Nicholson is one of my favorite brands to talk about because it started originally started in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, we can go into that story. You got a little um, bit of a soft spot for St. Louis, don't you? I do. I do. St. Louis, born and raised, uh, my hometown. Um, got to give a shout out to our Blues Stanley Cup champions. But, um, you know, all of our brands have a very unique backstory to them, very unique roots. Um, that's why here at Lux Row, we our, our, I guess, motto is real roots, real family, real products. Um, we have the roots, not only with the products, but the real roots here in Bardstown with the Ballard farm. They've lived there and, and Ryan, you know, this, but, you know, uh, big John Ballard lived there for 40 years, raised his kids yeah. there, his grandkids there. I mean, this was their family farm. Um, so we have the real roots with the products as well as with the farm. We've got the real family, uh, with myself, my dad, my mom being the creative director. Um, so she worked her butt off, you know, getting this place up to top notch, you know, within two years. And then we've got the real products and the drinkability obviously speaks for themselves um, when you when you let them touch your lips. But each one has different awards. Um, I was about to say, because the uh, Ezra Brooks Barrel Proof kind of went off gangbusters this yeah. year. Before yeah, we're going crazy. Over it, it was crazy. Yeah. So, well, right when we introduced it, right when we reintroduced it, Fred, um, um, Fred Minnick, who's never heard of him. never, I don't know who it is, but <laughs> I heard he's a he, he called it, he called it his, um, his, uh, 2018 everyday sipping whiskey of the year, which absolutely blew it off the rails. Um, all the allocations from across the country were going haywire. Um, and so people, you know, were in love with it. And then somehow, some way it, it won 
in San Francisco, 2019 straight bourbon of the year, 2018 straight straight whiskey of the year, mm-hmm. which was absolutely huge for us once again. Um, but then you know, David Nicholson Reserve back to back 2000 uh, back to back double golds in San Francisco in, in 2017 and 2018, as well as straight bourbon of the year in 2017. Rebel Yell 10-year-old single barrel was um, top 20 whiskeys of the world. It was number 12. There were only three American whiskeys on that. Um, so we were really, really fortunate to, you know, to have that one. It's also a very delicious product, um, as well as won some some gold medals. So each one, you know, that real roots, real family, real products, you know, really comes into play with Lux Row, as well as Lux Co. in St. Louis. But, um, you know, very family-oriented. But, Lux, you know, Lux Row is what we – that's what we strive here. So, do you, so has your dad ever told you about – how you had the foresight to like start buying up these brands like before the you know the the big boom like has he ever talked about that like why did he get why did bourbon interest him i guess from in the early 90s when no one cared yeah that's a great question and i'll, I'll need to to pick his brain about that yeah. because um you know I, I should definitely know that i know that um he's always looking to acquire and sell different brands whether it be bourbon or or rum or uh you know vodkas or tequila stuff mm-hmm. like that but um you know he's he he sees an opportunity and uh, he'll jump on it. Um, I mean David Nicholson he literally bought that product from the Van Winkle family. He was on the phone with Julian Van Winkle, um, which is a pretty cool story. Especially, I mean, and if you guys want, I mean, I can go into you know how David Nicholson 1843 came about. Do it. Um, Let's hear it. But so my favorite this is my favorite story to tell about our bourbons because it, it hits home for me. Um, it goes back to 1843. I've looked it up on Google and actually found <laughs> it actually, on Google. and actually, and actually found David Nicholson's grocery store that I'm about to talk about in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. So oh, cool. he, he was a grocery store owner back in 1843, um, in St. Louis, Missouri. So he made that four year old weeded bourbon in his basement of his grocery store. Um, 50 years later, I was about to say, you can do that. Yep. <laughs> 50 years later in 1893, some guy named Pappy Van Winkle, never heard of him, might know something about weeded bourbon. I'm not sure. What's that? Yeah, that? exactly. Never. Um, he purchased that product, continued that mash bill. And then in 2000, my father, Don purchased that product from, um, from Julian Van Winkle. So, which means we've now brought that full circle from 1843 back to St. Louis where it originally started, um, which is a really cool story to tell. Um, mm-hmm. It's 100% true, and it 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 puts that family you know atmosphere and that family feel back in that product that has been there throughout time, but might not have been recognized. Um, and then we introduced David Nicholson Reserve that won a bunch of awards. It's not it's a seven year ride bourbon at 100 proof, um, so they they interact with each other very well. They're different taste profiles. One's very creamy. One's still a little bit sweeter because of that weeded bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that's David Nicholson is a, is a really cool story with, with roots dating back to 1843, but also roots dating back to the Van Winkle family. Mm-hmm. So where was Blood Oath made? Not in a grocery store, right? How, Not in talk a about Blood so Oath the, and how it kind of <laughs> got its name and what, how it made, it way, made its way to your portfolio. So Blood Oath was um, a product that... Um, we're, our head distiller is very, very fond of uh, John Rempe. It, he, we wanted something that he could put his name to, and that it could be his, and that he could continue to create, you know, delicious blends, um, you know, year after year. Um, so, you know, John goes to different places and different distilleries and finds very unique barrels that he can blend together. And what we wanted was three extra age bourbons blended together with a, a unique uh, bourbon that's finished in something different. 
So packed one was three extra aged bourbons blended together, not finishing anything, a unique barrel after that. Mm -hmm. um, packed two, three extra aged bourbons, one of which was finished in a port barrel from Myers Winery in Cincinnati. Um, also family owned and operated with my cousin, Paul Lux, who owns Myers Winery. Um, pack three was finishing a Cabernet Sauvignon barrel for an extra six months. Um, John actually went out um, to to uh, Napa Valley and pick those barrels from the the sommelier or the head uh, wine guy, you know, at, at um, Swanson Vineyards out in Napa Valley. Pack four was finished in Rebel Yell 10-year-old toasted oak single barrels. So that was a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a and a 9-year-old. And that 9-year-old was finished for an extra six months. So you got very dark chocolate notes. So these are all, all things that, you know, John personally, you know, puts that bourbon in those barrels and tastes them uh, month over month to make sure that they're at that pro flavor profile that he wants. So when I tasted that blood oath or that, that nine year coming out of um, those Rebel Yo 10 year old toasted oak barrels, it was very dark chocolate. It tasted not like chocolate milk, but yeah. kind of cocoa almost. It, was a, it had a very you know chocolatey taste to it. And then pack five, you know, everybody's looking for that extra aged, uh, super high proof, mm -hmm. very unique bourbons these days. So pack five, it's a, uh, um, an eight-year-old, a uh, 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old, and that uh, the eight-year-old rye is actually finished for an extra six months in Caribbean rum cast. So that's what we're drinking right now. Nice. Mm. Um, that Caribbean rum cast, you get um, you get very uh, sweet, sweet, sugary. Yeah, sweet, sugary notes on the front end. Um, you get like dark fruit, banana. You get that oakiness coming through from that extra age, that you know, 13 and 12-year-old coming through there. Um, so blood oath is is something that. Um, you know, the, what the blood oath attests to is that, you know, nobody knows where he finds his barrels or, or his bourbon, but he, you know, he, he puts together um, a product that is very unique and, and is for the, the bourbon enthusiast. Um, and if you'd like, I can read, you know, what the actual blood oath label says on there. Um, but it, it, it'll, it'll, it gives the whole story. But if you think about it, you prick your finger with a buddy and you make a blood oath, you know, you don't tell, you don't tell those things. Only you guys know where it's from. And, uh, until you get on the podcast and until tell you reveal, <laughs> exactly. reveal everything. That's all we do. We sit here and poke and prod until we yep. find out mash bills and ages and where you source your barrels. <laughs> and we save our blood. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. I mean, I, that's, I think that's a side of, of at least that particular brand that most people don't know about. Um, you know, for, I, I mean, I can remember when I think Blood Oath Pact 1 came out and there was just kind of this like, what is this? Where did it come yeah. from? And it's in a box. Like, what? What is this stuff? Um, and so now we kind of have a little bit more of the information uh, and really kind of what goes into it. Now now I know that uh, each pact is uniquely different as well. It's not supposed to be this um, similar creation over and over and over again. Yep, yeah, the main similarity is and that it's, it's only three it's, barrels yeah, is another thing too. Three, yeah. three extra age bourbons is the main simi similarity, excuse me. And, uh, you know, each year, different box, different label, different flavor profile completely. Um, and it's something that, that John can really get behind and put, you know, a lot of his, his passion to it as well, other than, you know, all the other bourbons. But um, he, he loves the Blood Oath, and it's growing in popularity. You know, year over year, we've continually made more of it. It's still allocated. Um, but I believe we made 
uh, I think it's 5,003 uh, in cases for this one, so about 15,000 bottles. Maybe a little bit more. Might have been, might have been 17,000 bottles, but it's allocated. That's a lot so. of bottles for three barrels. Yeah. I don't know how you're doing that. <laughs> well, it's not three barrels total. Oh, yeah. okay. It's just three, three different. Three, three, I thought it was three different. Ones. I literally thought it was like three barrels. No, like, no, 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 no. Like, so like, like so somebody's we'll, math is way so off we'll, here. We'll take about we'll take about 40. Um, about 40 barrels. So like with the Rebel, the packed four, we had 40 Rebel Yell 10-year-old barrels that we sent back to the cooperage. They took them apart, scraped the number three char off, uh, put them back together, stuck a flaming hot rod in the middle for about an hour, um, put a very deep toast on them, put them back together and sent them back to us. And then we aged that nine-year-old or finished that nine-year-old for an extra six months in those barrels. So it wasn't all three bourbons finished in those barrels. It was only that one. Mm-hmm. So then John will blend them together in whatever way he finds you know, best so that you, he gets those flavor profiles that he's looking for. Nice. So it's more than just – it's three three types of barrels, but it's not three barrels total. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so was, uh, was Rebel Yell acquired at the same time uh, as David Nicholson? Uh, about a, a year before, but right around the same time, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that already has a pretty historic past, you yep. know, being something that was at uh, Stitzel Weller and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's it's good to kind of get the background of of what these are, and I'm, I'm assuming this is this is the, the line that you have right now on your bourbons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're missing. Uh, Rebel Yell, Ezra Brooks, Blood Oath, and David Nicholson. The Rebel Yell, we just reintroduced, or we just a uh, new label on it which, um, you know, pops much better than the old one. You can really read the lettering. So we've reintroduced that to the, um, to the market. Um, you know, we're coming out with new bottles and new, new products eventually um, as, you know, as we get going. Um, there'll, be, there'll be something along the lines of, you know, a regular or just like a, a distillery product from Lux Row. Um, so definitely look, look forward to seeing that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, this is our line. These four products, our two mash bills, our ride mash bill and our weeded mash bill. We can, um, get to all of our products from those. Mm-hmm. And so I guess let's talk a little bit about, uh, the distillery here because, uh, we mentioned when we were uh, walking and talking, uh, breaking ground around 2016, uh, which was, you know, for us, I remember doing the podcast and we were like, oh, what's this place that's getting ready to start? And we didn't really really think anything of it. And now uh, a couple of years later, we're here finally doing a podcast yeah, with and you then, all. Yeah, and then you realize they make, you know, they have Rebel Yell and Devil Nix and all those brands. All like, the big brands that yeah. you've probably never heard of before. And so kind of talk about the the timeline of, of breaking ground um, when you first started distilling, getting everything online, the first barrel, everything like that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we broke ground January 2016. Um the Ballards lived in that house pretty much two weeks until we broke ground on the property. Um, so it was still their family farm pretty much up until then. I mean, we, we obviously like, bought we're it. We're about but... to make this happen. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we broke ground uh, January 2016. We were on about a two-year, um, you know, uh, we wanted it to be you know up and running in two years. So January 2018, I think January 10th, we filled our first barrel. January 5th, we turned the still on. Um and then April 11th, we opened up to the public. So that was our grand opening. Um, and that was a, a huge day, not only for our family, but for our company. Um, it was the largest investment that we've ever made for our company. Um, but it was really big in um, not necessarily more morale, but just 
uh, for the whole team. I mean, my dad shut down our whole company in St. Louis and bust about 350 of his employees out here so that they could stand out on this front lawn while we had bagpipers, you know, walking, you know, taking my mom and my dad and David Bratcher, the president of our company, down to the flagpole to, you know, to raise that Lux Row flag for the first day. So you got people that you know, have worked, have driven a forklift in, in a warehouse in St. Louis for 30 years um, with a smile on their face coming to work every day for my dad and my grandfather that got to come out here and see firsthand where they're, you know, where that Rebel Yell or that Ezra Brooks is that they're pushing every single day in loading trucks. They got to see firsthand where that's made with, with their coworkers. And uh, it really spoke volumes, you know, who our family is and what we're all about and just to have everybody out here is just a really cool experience. You know, April 11th, 2018, we'll remember that day as, you know, the day that, you know, we, we cut the ribbon on this place and opened it up to the world. And that really is what, you know, what, what we did, you know, not only here in Bardstown, but I mean, I'm going to London uh, next week to, you know, work in the market with our, with Ezra Brooks and Rebel Yo, with our, our international reps over there. So, um, to, to see it grow over the past whatever it is year and a, you know, a little over a year and a half now from where it was to where it is now and then just envisioning where it can go you know over the next two five ten years and and past that um, is is really special and, and just to see you know everybody in the company you know really get behind it everybody in you know in our bourbon, um, section of, of Luxco get behind it and um, all the events that we're doing. We're now going to be at, at you know every whiskey fest around the country. So Chicago, San Francisco, uh, New York. Uh, I'm missing a couple. That's okay. But, there's, uh, a, there's a bunch. You know, yeah. whiskey fest, whiskey in the winter in St. Louis. Um, we'll have a booth there. So it, you know the the everybody's really getting behind it, especially here in Bardstown. I mean, you go to Talbot or, or Mammy's, they've got our products and they love it and they'll, they'll sell it. Or, gotta um, yep. You gotta love Mammy's. <laughs> gotta love Mammy's. You, can, you can't go wrong with the country cooking there. Yeah. Um, we had one, actually, we had a group that came here. Uh, it was like a uh, VIP tour or something and they went to Mammy's for breakfast and they, they were just like, that was crazy. The pancakes were <laughs> oh, huge yeah. and they're like, I couldn't even... They're like, we're bloated. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> take a nap. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But, so talk uh, about why did uh, you all decide to do the distiller here and not kind of do a footprint, you know, in St. Louis? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, 
Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Why did uh, you all decide to do the distiller here and not kind of do a footprint, you know, in St. Louis? You know, you got a bunch of brewery scene there, um, you know, a nice big city like, you know, in your bottling there still currently. Why not do it there instead of kind of putting your foots down here or not your foot, but making your stamp here in Bardstown? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that, you know, Bardstown is, is the heart of bourbon country. And, and we found that. Um, I think we wanted to be around everybody else. I think it, it definitely helps us being here versus, you know, being in St. Louis. We have our, our other, you know, our plant in St. Louis where everything else is made. But, um, you know, this is bourbon country, and, and we wanted to be by by the other distilleries, and we wanted to be right in the heart of it. You know, like I said earlier, you know, the, the Napa Valley of the, you know, of the Midwest is that bourbon trail right now. And, yes, people are going through St. Louis to – but they're going to go there and see beer when they're coming through Kentucky, they're coming for bourbon. And we needed somewhere that could be, you know, hundred percent about our bourbons that, um, we could, you know, really get behind. And, and we've been, you know, we've been sourcing for 20 years. So we've been driving our barrels from Kentucky back to St. Louis for 20 years. So, mm-hmm. and it's been working for us. Why change anything now? Uh, why not, you know, break ground in the heart of bourbon country where we have that limestone filtered water? I mean, we distill, we cook, we ferment with Bardstown city water because it's limestone filtered. We don't do anything with, you know, with it when we're putting it into the cooks or anything like that. We'll, mm-hmm. you know, we'll reverse osmosis, um, purify it when we're, you know, we're proofing down and everything. But um, to be here in Bardstown in the heart of it is, is what it's all about. And uh, that's where the most traffic is. That's where people want to come to see that bourbon. Um, and also in Kentucky, in, it's the same weather as Missouri. Um, you just get it about a day later, but you get all four seasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get all four seasons, very hot summers, very cold winters. So that aging process is really unique here in Kentucky um, and is probably the best aging process for bourbon. Um, so, I mean, and, and we're right in the, I mean, Lebanon, Kentucky is not far away. So independent state, it's easy to get barrels from them. Uh, you know, ev- everything mm-hmm. very centrally located here um, in Kentucky. Um, selfishly, I like being in Kentucky because it's close enough to St. Louis where I can drive back and <laughs> Just forth. Just a few hours yeah. away, um, four-hour drive. Yeah, it's not bad at all. But I, uh, I think um, this is where the, the majority of people know what they're talking about here in, in Kentucky for bourbon. Um, and, you know, when I got started I, I in the industry, I f- it was a little challenging for me because I was kind of just cold calling on different bars and restaurants and stuff like that. And the saturation of bourbon in in Kentucky, Louisville is just insane. I mean, you go into any bar and there's more than 100 bourbons on there. So um, to be able to get our name behind something that can compete directly with those big brands uh, with Lux Row, but also, you know, Rebel Yell is growing, Ezra Brooks is growing, David Nicholson's growing, David Nicholson Reserve is the biggest, you know, our top skew coming out of the distillery here. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it definitely speaks to the location that we're in. I guess I forgot to question about this. So what's there between this, the regular David Nicholson and the Reserve? 
1843 is a four-year-old weeded at 100 proof. So four-year-old weeded bourbon. And the reserve's a seven-year-old rye bourbon at 100 proof. There we go. Yeah. Gotcha. So one's weeded, one's rye. All right. So now our listeners know exactly what you're looking at when you're perusing your store shelves over there. <laughs> so I guess, um, you know, as we kind of keep talking about the, the distillery here and everything like that, what's the, I mean, it's a massive still. So kind of talk about the relationship you have with Vendome and, and the size of it and kind of like how much product you're pumping out too. Definitely. So yeah, we got our still 43 feet tall, 36 inches in diameter, handmade custom copper still from Vendome in Louisville. So family owned and operated with the Sherman family. Um, they are the best when it comes to still making. There's obviously other stills, hillbilly stills, trident stills. Um, I would think Vendome is up there with, you know, the best in the industry. Um, but yeah, so ours is a 43-foot column still, which then uh, feeds the low wine into our doubler, um, which is also made by Vendome. I'm not 100% sure the capacity of the doubler, um, but once it gets into that doubler... We'll let you slide on that one. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Pure, you know, pure alcohol in there, no more grains or anything. Um, and we're going to pump out about uh, a, million, a million gallons a year, uh, which is about, about 70 barrels a day, with the capacity to do about... Um, well, we do about 20,000 barrels a year, and we have the capacity to do about 50,000 barrels a year if we add a couple fermenters mm-hmm. um, down the road when, when we need that to, that production to jump up. Is that based off, like, what you're kind of seeing sales in the marketplace with your current brands, or mm-hmm. or is that kind of like we see this is the growth of what this company is going to be Yeah, a, a little in four bit to five both. years? Um, obviously, there's projections, and I don't see those projections firsthand. <laughs> um, but um, I think, you know, we deplete about 20,000 barrels a year. Um, so maybe a little bit less. Um, but as, as those projections and stuff, as we get rid of some other barrels that we have at other distilleries, we'll, you know, by the time those are finished, we'll be ready to dump our first four-year-old barrel here. And we can just kind of jump right into it seam- seamlessly. And that's what was kind of unique about us building, building here as well is that you know, we've been in the, the bourbon industry owning our own bourbons for over 20 years and and we've been doing it, you know, we've we've had it, it working very well and very good relationships and to have those those products, um, we're doing the same thing that those other distilleries had been doing for us, except now everything's in-house and we can just, we were able to have, have barrels aging, um, continue producing those products and having them in the market while we're building our distillery. So whereas, you know, a a smaller craft distillery that's just popping up out of the ground, they're either going to source their product off the start or they have to wait, you know, a year or two years for their first product to come off the still uh, or to be dumped out of the barrel. For us, we could just jump right into it. Um, And they're not too much of a a leeway in, in, you know, getting that still turned on, pumping out juice and just jumping right back into that, that process of, of putting bourbon in, you know, on the shelves. Yeah. I guess that, that also kind of leads into another question is when you start thinking about when the the day does come, when your, your barrels are ready. And so you said like 20, 2022, 2022 is kind of like the, the date that you all are aiming at. Is there ever any, any worry because you know, if you're if you're sourcing and you're buying and you've been buying at a consistent product um, and you kind of know exactly like what it's going to be at that age, you have a little high confidence. And then now you're kind of like, OK, now we're working with our equipment. Is there any sort of uh, thoughts or worries to say, like, God, I really hope it's going to be ready in four years? Personally, I don't have any worry, mm-hmm. but people in the industry, I'm sure, will have worry. Um, 
for I don't have any worry for a couple of reasons. One, I've tasted our year juice that came out of our, our first make barrels, and it's absolutely delicious at 125 proof, very caramely, very dark for a year, which gave me a lot of confidence into what we we're going to be taking out of those barrels, um, you know, three years down the road. But also when, when we're doing the exact same thing that those other distilleries, you know, had been doing for us for 20 years, um, our head distiller was, was, you know, we were deciding what that mash bill was going to be, stuff like that. But um, when we pull our barrels, you know, especially for our Rebel Yell and our Ezra Brooks, um, as well as some for the David Nicholson, but mostly the Rebel Yell and Ezra Brooks, we're going to pull in a cross-sectional method from the rickhouse. So we're not going to rotate any of our barrels. So when we pull those barrels, we're going to pull 200 barrels, maybe 250 barrels at a time and blend those all together to get to that consistent you know, flavor or, or proof that we've had for the past 20 years that's been, you know, award-winning or um, that we've been putting on the shelves year in and year out. So, and that's all tested by our head distiller and some people back in St. Louis too, making sure those flavors are, are there. But um, me personally, I don't really have any worry because we have the best in the business, you know, doing what, what they do here. But um, I'm sure that's going to be a thought of, of some people once we get our first product, you know, that we actually distilled here, you know, into the market. Y'all trying to kind of replicate the existing profiles you have now with the existing brands? Is that kind of what your mash bills are geared towards, is kind of replicating mm-hmm. the juice yeah, that's it, in it now? It's going to be the same mash bill. We're using the same corn. We're using the same wheat or rye. We're using the same yeast, everything like that. We're just doing it in-house now. So, gotcha. um, you know, it's it's hard to... I would think that would be the smart way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to, it's hard to kind of replicate it. Um, off a, you know, a year and seven month old barrel. Sure. Um, as we get closer and closer, I'm sure that replication process will, uh, become more in depth and, and taking a couple different barrels and mixing them together and proofing them down to see if we can get to that exact proof. Mm-hmm. Um, or that, that exact, uh, flavor profile, which I, I know we will. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I'm sure there, there's definitely some worry or, or mm-hmm. uh, thought into if it's going to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's always a always a concern when you're doing this and figuring out. Okay, do we do we keep the sourcing? Do we start blending a little bit? Um, that sort of thing as you you start going down that path uh, even more. Um, and so we we kind of went on the tour. Kind of so we have what 12, 12 fermenters here. Twelve fermenters like that. Yeah. I'm see, I'm already testing my knowledge here. Twelve fermenters, a massive still, the doubler. Um, what else am I am I missing that we kind of saw on our little tour here when we talk proofing about proofing tanks? We got some proofing tanks. We'll we'll put we'll put juice in the proofing tanks at 140, and we'll proof it down to 124.9 mm-hmm. for it to be bourbon. Can't go in 125 or higher. And so talk about uh, the storage capacity we have here, too, uh, because we were able to go inside there. You have uh, this beautiful wall of, yeah. of barrels. Um, anybody that missed, you can always check out Instagram, scroll way, way, way back, and you can probably find it. But there was a, an idea that they had of, of being able to make an impact when you come into a particular warehouse. Um, so kind of talk about what that is. Yeah, so my dad Don um, and David Bratcher, the president of the company, had a really good, good, uh, really great idea, honestly, to um, take out first couple ricks in a rick house and um, just make a big wall of barrels that people could see and and allow people to really, uh, you know, see what a, a rick house looks like, see the magnitude of a rick house, um, you know really see how many barrels uh, are in a rickhouse from floor to ceiling instead of just being in a confined claustrophobic area. 
um, and and leave you know a lasting impression on on people that come to the distillery. Uh, I don't don't quote me on this, but I believe it's probably the the number one picture people take at our distillery <laughs> once they get in there. The wow factor number is two definitely is peacocks. There. Yeah, number two is peacocks. <laughs> blend them together and make one. Um, you know the wow factor is you know definitely there. We have we have um, in that rickhouse. Well, all of them were, are built by Busick um, Construction here in Bardstown. Uh, also family owned and operated, but, um, you know, they were kind of skeptical about it at first until they did some engineering on it and they found a way that it would work. And, uh, so we were the first ones to do it. We're one of, you know, that Rick house is one of a kind in the industry. So they've, Busick has brought other people, you know, that are maybe interested in it to kind of look at that, but all of our Rick houses aren't like that. So that one holds our first one, Rick house one holds 19,200 barrels. And then all of our other Rick houses hold about 20,000 barrels. Um, so if my math is right, about an 800 barrel sacrifice, yep, right? about 800 barrel sacrifice. And, uh, um, we definitely think that, um, that sacrifice, you know, paid off, um, in aesthetic purposes. Um, I'm hoping that those barrels stay on that wall for a very long time, at least like 10 years. Um, me personally, but I'm not the one calling the shots when it comes to what barrels are being pulled. But, you know, we, we've got some special barrels on that wall that people can see and, and hear the story about, um, and, and, you know, those Rick houses, that's where the magic really happens. I mean, in my mind, the barrel is the most influential aspect of the bourbon process. You get 70% of the flavor, 70% of the flavor, hundred percent of the color. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how a little bit of that extra airflow kind of affects the barrels, um, in a positive or negative way. Um, we hope all positives. Yeah. I'm positive hoping all positive. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, but you know, it's it's just we tried to be uh, differentiate ourselves from other distilleries in a few different ways through visuals, whether it be the the video at the start of the tour, uh, the artwork throughout the tour, or um, you know the Rick House, you know, very very visually appealing that people you know it sticks with them um, when they when they leave here. Um, yeah, it's one of the first warehouses we've been around to recently that doesn't have like the the black fungus several yeah, everywhere yeah. yet. The, right? Yeah, the, so we don't have that yet. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll be Just getting. It. I think it's starting to grow on a couple of the small trees out there. But, yeah, um, it's like every tree in bars on the black. Like, <laughs> like you bring someone like, what's wrong with your trees? It's like, ah, I'm worried. Yeah, it's just a bourbon. Don't worry. Bourbon it's just, tree. It's just the bourbon. It's just the bourbon talking. Yeah. And so you know, last thing I want to kind of talk about because I, I think the brands are uh, a very sort of focus for for what you do and uh, all the ambassadoring I think that's a word that you uh, that you do around the globe <laughs> sort of what is what has been like the one thing that people latch on to when you talk to them about their brand or about your brands like is is there one thing in particular each one of these that they're kind of like oh wow like I didn't know that or that's a pretty cool little factoid um, I think there's there's a couple things. I think the roots behind each one of our brands is very unique and people don't realize the roots that you know, each brand has come from. I mean, you mentioned, if you mentioned Stitzel Weller to anyone that, you know, drinks bourbon, they know that it was a very prestigious distillery back in the day um, that, you know, has amazing juice that we've continued that, you know, that process. Or you mentioned the Van Winkle family. Um, everybody knows who, you know, or most people that drink bourbon know who, you know, the Van Winkles are. So I think that the 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 roots of each one of our bourbons is very unique. Um, the flavor profile is very unique. But what I really enjoy about this job is telling our family story and how we've 
grown throughout you know the past 60 years um starting as just a a small you know uh private label distribution company and mm-hmm. bottler all the way up to one of the top suppliers and you know in the country, if not the world of, of spirits. And, um, to be able to grow that family name into bourbon is, is very, uh, special for, for not only myself, but for our family as a whole. I mean, I've, my, my mom, and it was absolutely a job to raise me over, you know, 25 years, but she put her heart and soul into this distillery for a two year process. And, uh, you know, yeah, the the tasting room, the visitor experience, that was all her. So to see, to to be able to tell our family story and put it behind not only the brands, but the whole distillery in general is very yeah. special. And I think people actually latch on to it um, at, you know, whiskey fests and stuff like that. Because, um, you know, Kenny, like you're saying, it, some people do know the brands, some people don't know the brands. and And if you can give them something to latch on to that reminds them of that brand. Um, I think it's, it, it helps them, you know, one, they'll drink it. They'll maybe ask for that over a different product mm-hmm. at the store after, you know, they go from San Francisco whiskey fest drinking all day and night. And the next morning they're like, Oh, what was, you know, what was that? What was that product from Lux Road Distillers? What was that thing? I can't remember. And then um, maybe, maybe they remember it, or maybe I was just in the liquor store that they go to and they walk in there and I was just, I, I personally had just been talking to the owner and talked to him and explained all of our brands. So they walk in there and they say, oh, do you have the, any brands from Lux Road Distillers? Like, oh yeah, we have Rebel Yell. We have Ezra Brooks. We have these brands. Are any of those ringing a bell? And then they can kind of relate to, you know, not just those products, whereas, and you know, Maker's Mark is it's Maker's Mark, right? Yeah. Um, you know that's why we didn't want to call this distillery Rebel Yell Distillery or Ezra Brooks Distillery. We didn't want it to be one of like a, a legacy distillery. We wanted it to have, uh, we wanted to be able to distill all those products under one roof, have four, five, six brands underneath one big brand of Lux Row. So when's when's the Lux Bourbon coming? <laughs> uh, you could probably look for it around uh, Bourbon Fest time. Yeah, there so. you go. Very so cool. It's going to happen. So you, you guys are in, like you said, Lux Co's in part of, got their hands in everything. Like, mm-hmm. is there any plans to use this facility to kind of support those brands as well? Or just, it's just not, strictly not that whiskey focused? Yeah, strictly whiskey focused. Not that I've heard of. Um, I mean, definitely not for our tequilas, obviously. That's in <laughs> right. Mexico, but we've got a distillery out in Mexico um, that we've worked with for over 40 years. Um you know, at, people have actually asked me that. Are you going to use the still for vodka uh, or gin, stuff like that? Um, as of right now, it's strictly bourbon-focused and whiskey-focused. Um, not to say that there's not something down the road that need be. We we might need to do some grain-neutral spirits or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, it's it's strictly bourbon. It's like if you got the equipment. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Yep. Who knows? So talk about some of, the, like, the kinks or, like, troubles with starting a distillery. What's kind of been, like, because it can't all just be like easy peasy smooth process, <laughs> unicorns you know? and rainbows. And that's something that's something you'd have to ask Tony or, uh, or <laughs> yeah. Aaron about mostly. But I mean, I'm not. I'm out here two or three times a week um, when I can be when I'm not traveling. Um, you know, just getting getting everything dialed in. Uh, we, it seems like everything in the whiskey business takes three times as long. Probably. <laughs> yep. And uh, we were we were lucky enough that um, 
people from other distilleries applied for jobs here, so there wasn't a huge training process other than just getting used to our facilities, which was awesome. And everybody that works here is is fantastic. Um, you know, obviously capital is probably one of the biggest um, biggest things when coming you know coming to building building the the property um, or building the distillery, um, finding the land. This was the last piece of property we looked at. So this was my my dad and David Bratcher looked at about ten to twelve different pieces of property. So this was the last one, um, which definitely worked out the best, I think. Um, it's like distillery hunters, yeah, literally like house hunters. You know, I know. Like, and this one, that's not, that's not gonna work. <laughs> I need three bathrooms. Yeah, um, I mean, I really, to tell you the truth, I really don't see see a lot of the the stuff that's um, kind of the kinks in it. Uh, I will tell you that we are, you know firsthand exactly what you're going to see going into the barrel is what you're going to get four years down the road. We're not trying to hide anything. We're not, um, you know, our tour is literally you're walking through our facility and you see the exact fermenters, the exact cookers, the exact still that we use. Uh, if a, if a, a cooker is broken, um, for example, one of the first tours I ever gave and when I was out here, um, there was one, uh, one of the the employees hanging off the cooker, fixing it. I mean, if you're on a tour, you're going to see that cooker being fixed. Maybe we're down a cooker. So we have to, you know, double up on that one cooker now. So you're going to see exactly what, you know, what goes into that process. That should be under warranty. You know, <laughs> it's only been there a couple of years. <laughs> what, do they, what do they call it? Uh, sometimes in the industry, a working showroom. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> so Philip, I want to say thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and, and really kind of sharing that family connection. I think you really hit home for, for a lot of it, uh, of really understanding exactly what your family's been doing for um, all these years now and, and how they've built these products, how they built these brands. Uh, and then the connections that you also have with the other families around here in, uh, in Bardstown and other surrounding areas to, to help build the distillery in itself and, and really how the next iteration of this and uh, the next two years, we'll see, uh, you know, when the products start getting dumped and they're bottled and you, mm -hmm. you start seeing that, that realization of all the fruits of the labor finally coming together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of, it's very cool because like when you say Luxco or Luxro, you're like, all right, some big corporation owns some brands and, you know, they're, but, you know, meeting you and, and it's just seeing your pride, I guess, in your, you know, in your families, what they've done, you know, to get to this point and like see the family aspect behind it. Like you, all day long, you kind of preach that, you know, this is really important to us, the family aspect with all the relationships we have with our vendors, with our suppliers, our employees, you know, it's really kind of cool to see that that's what's really behind these products. It's not just Rebel Yell and Ezra and Nicholson and Blood Oath. It's the Lux mm -hmm. family, you know, it's not just some big corporation with bean counters trying to make this. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a few bean counters. I mean, there's some bean counters, <laughs> but uh, it's cool to see that, you know, the family's in, involved, you know, so much. So very yeah. cool. Well, I absolutely, gentlemen. I mean, I really appreciate it and I appreciate you guys, you know, giving me an opportunity to come on the podcast. I love your guys' podcast. And, you know, we just... We'll always show up for free bourbon. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, right? Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, it's just been a, uh, it's been an awesome ride over the past, you know, two, three years for me personally, really diving into it and seeing it grow. And, and my dad's always told me since, from a young age, you know, in the, in the industry, it's all about relationships. I mean, obviously life's all about relationships as well. Sure. But in, in the bourbon industry, you know, it's all about relationships. I mean, he he he's known the Shapira family for over forty years. I mean, Max's dad 
you know, age wise, and I'm going to use my hands, but you know, it was Max's dad above my grandfather, and then Max was right ab- under my grandfather, and then my dad was under Max, and then Max's son Andy is now under him, and then I'm under Andy. So I'm extremely, you know, you know, pleased and and, and honored to be fourth generation coming into the business, whether it be like you're saying with our suppliers, um, you know, like the Young family um, out in Atlanta with uh you know with their distribution company you know his kids are now uh bill young th- the third uh bill young jr's kids are now working in the industry so i get to work hand in hand with another fourth generation and uh you know it, it, it's all about family and and yeah it's our our products i think speak to that um the drinkability wise uh if you come to the distillery even our tour guides we've got a ballard connor ballard that actually works at the distillery so you know his uh, second uncle was was john ballard who you know, lived on the, the property like all right we'll say exactly property, but you gotta take connor yep <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> do some of his life yeah. and it's i mean we've got you know we've got people that are born and raised in bardstown um one of the uh excuse me one of the um um, people that work in the distillery, her name is Ginger. Her uh, husband actually hauls our slop. So it's like, you know, intermi- intermingled family a- aspect without even like thinking about it. So um, it's just, it was an honor. I mean, it's an honor just to be in it and uh, just want to continue to grow our brands, grow Rebel Yell, Ezra Brooks, Blood Oath, David Nicholson, um, you know, keep striving the real roots, real family, real products, because that truly is what we have here. Um, if you come to the distillery and uh, and get a tour, either no, f- when you come to when the- you come to the distillery, exactly when you come to the distillery, either get a tour from myself or one of our our tour ambassadors, Connor, Kelsey, Annabelle, Landon. Um, they're Casey. They're all fantastic. Uh, you know, either born and raised in Louisville or in Bardstown, and um, you know they're just here to to help share our story, share our bourbons, and. And uh, enjoy some some damn fine bourbon. There yep. you go, Kill, <laughs> killer sign off right there. Right, damn fine <laughs> bourbon. Yep. So make sure you come. You come visit Luxrow. Take a take a tour. Uh, I guarantee you'll be you'll be kind of bright eyed a little bit. You know, it's got a little bit of uh, a newer kind of vibe and angle to it. Yeah, um, and a we, beautiful we, piece of land. It's absolutely. Just, I mean, it's been like half the podcast talking about the land. I know. <laughs> uh, shout out to the Ballards. No. So, uh, so make sure you come visit them, but you can also make sure that you're following us, uh, Bourbon Pursuit, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, please support the show by writing us a review, or maybe even financially on Patreon. We'd love to. We always like to have that be our our main support of how we keep this show going. And, and shout out to all of our Patreon supporters that do. Uh, so, Ryan, go ahead and close us out. Yeah, like Kenny said, we love hearing from you also. If you have feedback, guest suggestions, comments, we love hearing from you because this is what we do. It's for, for you guys. So uh, keep them coming, and uh, we'll see you next time.